Welcome back to the show that tells you you are a quantum computer with free will. My name is Justin Riddle, and this is episode eight of the Quantum Consciousness series. Today's topic is mind-body dualism. This is part two of a metaphysics three-parter. The primary question that we'll get to today is, will we see a revival of mind-body dualism in the coming age of digital computers interacting with quantum computers? This podcast is available on YouTube, and an audio-only version is available on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear today, please like the video, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment below, and write a review. Join me deep inside the mystery of numbers. Come and hop a metaphysical loop. See how concepts become objects and then become quantum. Join us for an episode of Quantum Consciousness. Last week, we discussed physicalism. Physicalism is the idea that the physical world is the only thing that is worth discussing, measuring, and building models out of. There is a denial of anything different from physical, and this notion that there is a mind or a subjective experience is entirely reducible to physical components and an interaction between components. Physical models rely very heavily on digital computer metaphors or a framing of the mind within a digital computer framework, um, often reducing the mind to an algorithm or some sort of computational process that can be described with first-order logical principles, zeros, ones, if this, then that, and conversions using logic gates from one state to the next state. If you want to hear more about that, check out episode seven, which goes into this in a lot more detail. Now, today we're going to be going into mind-body dualism, and this is essentially the idea that you have mental stuff and physical stuff, and there might be a way for them to interact with each other. They might be different things from each other. There's different framings for how the mind and the body might interact. And so we'll be introducing Rene Descartes' method of exploring mind-body duality and sort of using him and his theories as a starter package on how we can then explore what mind-body means in a greater context. And at the end of this video, I'll be framing this within the context of digital computers and quantum computers, where I, I actually think there is a real possibility that these mind-body dualities and these ways of thinking about our experience as a mind-body duality could be nicely instantiated in a digital quantum computer framework where you have stages of quantum computation and digital computation trading off, but more on that at the end. So to introduce Rene Descartes, he engaged in this process of what's called methodological doubt. And this is essentially where we want to doubt everything that we know, everything that we experience, and really get to the core of what is it that makes our experience real. So this is really core to metaphysics or the physics of physics or questioning the fundamentals because we want to systematically doubt everything we know and see what we're left with. So the first thing he does is he engages in dream skepticism. 
And this is the question, how do we know that we're not dreaming right now? Are you awake? Are you really here? Could you snap your fingers and wake up and everything that you saw physically, all the sensations and feelings that you've had aren't actually real and you were just in a dream laying in your bed. You weren't flying through the sky and having these conversations with different entities. No, you were asleep and all of that was being generated by your brain. And so the question is, how do we know that that's not happening right now? And so Descartes undergoes the process of dream skepticism by saying, let's go from the the position of, I can't trust any of the sensations, any of the physical sensations coming in from my body. And what am I left with after I ignore all of that? Next up, Descartes postulates an evil deceiver. And I really love this notion within his methodological doubt because I think it, it really is quite a cool, cool idea. But the idea is, how do you know that two plus two equals four? It seems that we have this natural intuition for the logic and the rationale of our world around us. And Roger Penrose goes into this a lot as well. How do children know the whole number series? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It comes so naturally to us to think about whole numbers and the concept of one, the concept of two, the concept of a square. But where does that come from? Parallel lines. We can think about two lines not intersecting, never interacting, staying parallel infinitely in all directions, or I guess in a planar direction. And how do we conceive of that? What if black was white, up is down, parallel lines intersected, squares had three angles instead of four. It's really hard to imagine how this could be the case, but let's undergo the process that Descartes underwent and say that there is an evil deceiver and all rationale and logic is thrown out the window. Whole numbers aren't real. Simple arithmetic isn't real. And everything you know is wrong conceptually. Uh, which is probably a good practice to 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 go through every now and then, at least at least on some level, probably not at this super fundamental level. And then he asked the question, okay, we can't trust our sensations, we can't trust our body, we can't trust any of the of the the stuff coming from the world around us. And now we can't even trust logic and rationale. What then are you left with, if anything? And this is where he has the classic statement. I think, therefore, I am, you cannot escape your own experience. And this, to him, was sort of a proof that there is something to be a mind or to be a conscious being that is separate from the logic, the rationale, the mathematics that the evil deceiver has messed up and different from all the data flooding in through your body and your sensory organs which the dream skepticism has denied us. And with methodological doubt, you cannot doubt yourself at the end of all of that. And so what does this mean um, in terms of the framework that I've been laying out for you in this series? Well, the evil deceiver very nicely maps onto the platonic world. 
Roger Penrose's platonic world is the world of forms, the world of mathematics, the world of meaning. The evil deceiver is quite literally a rejection of forms, of meaning, of universal truth entirely. And then the physical world is the data, the measurements, the observations that we can make out there. And this is the physical world. And so when you deny yourself the physical world, you deny yourself the platonic world, you're left with the mental world. And lo and behold, it's very difficult to remove yourself from your own subjective experience. All right. So what does Descartes conclude from this? Well, he's often been called a substance dualist. And this is essentially saying that there is mind stuff and physical stuff, and there's a Cartesian impasse where you cannot directly connect the mind stuff to the physical stuff. There has to be some intermediary that goes between the two, and potentially this is somehow being routed through the platonic world, or as Descartes frames it, this sort of logos or God concept, if you will. And so when it comes to Descartes, I think that there is room to view Descartes as more than just a substance dualist, where there was a dualism of the substances, but there was still an insi like an insistence in having this third world, this extra level where you could route information or route some sort of influence between the mental and the physical, going through this sense of logic or rationale. And it's often been said that Descartes sort of created this concept of God and infused it in his writing as a way to appease the church and not get beheaded or, or locked up or imprisoned or something. But I think at a more fundamental level, we could take what he's saying at face value that he's framing this God concept really as a logos or a rationale or some sort of mathematics or, or principles which can create a meaningful translation of thoughts and feelings and subjective experience into the physical body. And whether you uh, like that framing or not, I think that it's, it's very interesting to view Descartes as Yes, a substance dualist where he was trying to find the substrate of the mind within the, within the body and then acknowledging the physical body. But then there's still room for him to have this, this triality or this trialism through this God concept. So where does this leave us? Well, if we are to sort of relate this to quantum computers and relate this to quantum mechanics, there's this emerging idea of wave-particle duality, which I think bears on this topic. So the simplest example of wave-particle duality is the double-slit experiment. And if you want to learn about that, go check out episode three, where I go through measurement, superposition, and entanglement, and I really go deeply into the double-slit experiment. But for today, I'll just be sort of framing it in simple terms, the idea is that all of matter and all of the systems in our, our universe have a superposition of multiple physical states 
And this is a probability distribution or wave function that is then collapsed into discrete physical states. And so the creation of wave particle duality really stems back to the, these early notions of atoms and people insisting in trying to find small pieces of matter. And then you had other phenomena like light where light appeared to be much more wave-like and people were thinking, oh, there's wave things and there's particle things. And then there was this discovery that photons exist and that light is actually quantized into photons and it has a particle-like aspect and they're not purely waves. And so what this means is that light undergoes periods where it behaves like a wave and then periods where you can measure that light and reduce it into a more particle-like state. And so when we're talking about light or atoms having wave-particle duality, it is a little abstract and a little disconnected from our reality. We're so macroscopic that we think this might be happening at this super microscopic level. What does this have to do with me? And so I think the invention of quantum computers and the scaling up of these properties to more macroscopic domains brings it home a little bit more. And so in the episodes five and six, where we discuss digital computers and quantum computers, we talk about how quantum computers are the extension and the creation of macroscopic wave functions that can form computational processes through time. And then after this quantum computation is run, you reduce it down into a digitized state. So this is very similar to wave-particle duality in that your quantum computer is gonna undergo this fundamentally wave-like state where you isolate it from its surroundings, it undergoes a wave function and it quantum computes information. Then you reduce the quantum computer, you digitize it, you measure it, and you receive the output of that quantum computation. And then the process repeats. So you have this cycling between digitization and quantum computation. And this is a, the natural process that quantum computation will take the form of. And so this seems to imply some sort of duality where you have this quantum computational phase and this digital phase. And then the extension into biology, which is definitely challenged to some degree, but there's a few people making models and working on this. One such model is the Roger Penrose Stuart Hameroff orchestrated objective reduction model. And in this model, you essentially have a biological network that is able to sustain macroscopic quantum computations. And within that framing, there is a transition between a quantum computational phase and a digitization phase where there's biological mechanisms to isolate the quantum computer, allow it to run into the future, and then you remove that isolation and proteins come in and start interacting with that quantum computer and receiving the output and there's this flow between a local digital state and this more distributed quantum computational state. And so 
when you scale this up to digital computers and quantum computers and this fundamental interaction between the two, I think you can start to see how this might relate more to our models and our theories about consciousness. And so while there's sort of this impetus or this push to try to view everything as the simplest model that you can, and so the instinct is, oh, there's just one thing, there's no point of talking about a duality of multiple things, because why would you ever have multiple things when you can just have one thing? We can just have a physical world. Well, the infrastructure around quantum computers really strongly pushes you towards having this quantum computational phase that's distributed and, and global, and then this local digitization phase. And so I think there is a much more natural alignment between thinking about dualism and mind-body dualism in this quantum computer, digital computer interaction framework because the analogy or the metaphor or the theory that we're going for here is that the quantum computer is more analogous to the mind and the digital computer is more analogous to the body. Why is that? The mind is a single whole entity. Wave functions are distributed whole entities. And then the body is digitized, it's specialized, it's broken up into all these parallel units, and there's no centralized coherent structure necessary within this, this digitization. You can have a bunch of dedicated pieces of hardware doing their own separate thing. And so in this mind-body dualism, you have this body with all these different sensory organs, and then they're pumping information, audio information, visual information, sensation information, and then it's getting integrated into this central subjective experience mind hub. And so that mind hub is the quantum computation, and you can have all these digital feeds going into it. As you can tell, I'm very pumped and excited on this new framework of maybe how we could imagine thinking about our mind and our body interacting with each other in a genuine way that isn't a metaphor and that is actually occurring in this world and that there could be some sort of distributed quantum computer within your mind interacting with the localized digital systems within your body. And so what I think is really interesting to note is that there's this idea that mind-body dualism is really just for the mystics it's been debunked. It's an, an archaic notion from the olden times. And I think that there is a very real possibility that when you have hardware and infrastructure and these new computational systems that have this very fundamental dualism built into them, then we might be looking back in history and saying, okay, what philosophers were talking about dualism and were they on to something? And our instinct in the industrial age to delete all notions of a mind might have been throwing you know, some babies out with the bathwater. And I think technology and the information age and the quantum information age will push us to start thinking more critically about if there is this fundamental duality in physics and in computation, what does that fundamental duality 
mean for me as a conscious being trying to understand my place in the universe? And so next week, we will be going into another form of dualism, naturalistic dualism, which really focuses in on the platonic world and the physical world as a dualistic system. But that discussion goes much more into the three world model framing. So I'm going to leave that for next week. So tune in next week for a three world model discussion. We'll be talking about Plato. We'll be talking about David Chalmers. And so tune in then for that. And I look forward to hearing your comments and hearing what you have to say about all of this. So I'll talk to you very soon.